Amen. Well, um, I know that we've had another tragedy um, this past week. I was telling someone that, you know, if I had to really just concentrate like the news does, you know, they just change on a dime. You got the big staff and they change on a dime on um, news, the breaking news that are coming in. But it seems like this whole year I would have had to basically wait till uh, Friday or Saturday to pre uh, prepare any messages because it seems like, you know, there, there's a mood going on in our nation today. And I, I just uh, have been burdened all week, as I know you have too, about what has happened, transpired in our country, and particularly in the city of Dallas. Um, my wife and I lived near Dallas for um, about three years, uh, just a few miles from Dallas. And so uh, not, not really a home, but maybe a third home for us. And uh, so my heart goes out to them and the policemen who are, are were just trying to do their job, doing their duty, and uh, being in the line of fire of one sniper, one person, can really make a difference, both in a positive and a negative way. I think it would, uh, uh, what we need to do right now, certainly is to pray for them, and so and pray for their families. Let's do that right now. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, and we we pray, Lord, for those who have lost loved ones this past week. And we pray, God, for uh, those that have lost lives due to other shootings around the country, whatever they may be, some we don't even know about, because no matter, no matter what happened to their, uh, those people, no, no parent has ever envisioned their child becoming some sort of criminal or, or being shot, being killed. So we pray for those families, but we pray, God, for those that um, families who lost their husband, lost their dad in um, these shootings in Dallas, um, senseless thing. Um, certainly there's racial tensions going on and we pray about that as well. God, we just lift up these families before you. Pray that you administer to them. Pray that you would draw yourself closer to them. If there's anyone in their family that doesn't know Christ, that you would make this an opportunity for them to come to know him as their personal Savior and Lord. And uh, God, I pray that you would just even lay on our heart on what we can do to make a difference. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to 1 Peter. And um, as we turn here, and uh, the title of the message is A Vision for You, I know that, again, tragedy has struck America. It seems like it's striking somewhere uh, every week. I had a young person to ask, well, is this the end times? I mean, should we be looking for Jesus to come back? How, how much worse? I mean, that was the question. How much worse can it get? How far can we go with this? Well, let me just share with you a couple of things. One, uh, we cannot be guilty of just taking America as the rest of the world. Things are going on in America. Uh, things are at a great tension. But we're not the rest of the world. God's moving in China. God's moving in India. God's moving in Africa. And so we have to take the whole world as uh, our signs. Now, I believe we're in the end times, and I just don't know when he's going to come back again. But certainly we've had tough times in America before. We have. We're having tough times now. We're having racial tensions like I haven't seen since the 1960s and early 1970s when that revolution was going on. And there needed to be changes then, but now we're having racial tensions again. And a lot of it has to do with leadership on the local and the federal level. It just does. We're looking at uh, people being in danger, and we wonder in the big cities today, are the police just going to sort of just quit and go to the small towns like Oviedo and smaller cities like Orlando and just quit the big cities? I mean, they're putting their life on the line every day, and they can't seem to do anything right. 
you know, no matter what they do, they just seems to have something to come back on them. And so let me just say this, how you respond to what's going on in your world, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, whatever is happening in your life right now really has a lot to do with your level of spiritual maturity. And that's one reason why our growth in Christ is so vitally important. And so I want to speak to that issue today out of 1 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1 and 2. As we look at this, now I want you to picture, just for, for example, to be on a, you're on an escalator, and you're going up on the escalator, or, or you're, excuse me, you're going down on the escalator, and you're trying to climb up. It takes effort. If you stop walking up, no matter how slow the escalator is going, soon you're going to be starting to go down, 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 down. And when you think about life in general, that's what life does. We just, if we don't have any effort to go up, we're going to go down. For example, some of you play golf. But if you cease to play golf for about six months, a year, you try to go back to play without any practice at all, your game is going to go down the toilet, right? I mean, it's not going to be any good at all. Same way with tennis. Same way we, what about some of you that work out? Man, you work out real hard, but then you quit for three months and you go back and do, do you experience pain or what? You know, you do. I'm getting older. My body's going down, down, down. So unless we have effort to go up, we're going to go down. And that's part of our problem in the area of spiritual growth is the effort to go up. Now, if you're looking for a solution in America today, let me share with you what the Bible teaches. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, that's us, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will hear their prayer and heal their land. That is the formula that God expects a nation to do. However, that's us. That's, that's us as Christians. And so I'm wondering to myself, and I challenge you this morning to ask yourself this question. Are you in a position in your relationship with God to be part of that prayer to be able to pray that prayer with power, with conviction, and with effectiveness. And a lot has to do with your relationship with God and, as, and your growth with Him. Now, as we open to 1 Peter chapter 1, we find that Peter is writing to churches in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. And as he's writing this letter, they're under persecution, different from us. They're under uh, persecution for being a Christian. There's adversity. There's trials there. And he's trying to get them through the trials and trying to help them to see what God is doing in their life. Now, I want us to look at three things this morning as we look at this passage. Number one, I want us to see the reasons to grow. Secondly, the road to growth. And thirdly, the roadblocks to growth. First of all, I want us to read the passage this morning. And as we read this passage, very short passage, I want us to see the reasons for growth. Since you have in obedience to the truth, verse 22 purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of the seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all of its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which I have preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander like newborn babies, Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may, be, you may grow in respect to salvation. For if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let me share with you one thing. If you never get anything, if you just tune out the rest of the message, get this. The most important thing in your life, besides your salvation itself, is your growth in Christ. And that's why I want to look at the reasons for the growth. Number one, 
Two, two reasons why you ought to desire growth. One, it's natural. Now, the reason I say desire, for example, I, I was going, when I was in seminary, we were going to work one day, and a good friend of mine asked the question, just theologically, just philosophically, asked the question, okay, I'm saved by the grace of God, why should I want to grow? Now, he, he did want to grow, but why should I want to? Why should I desire that? Well, first of all, it's natural. Even a little boy wants to be big. He wants to grow up and be big. But here in this passage, we see something that is more than that. We see that a Christian, a real Christian, is a, has a born-again supernatural experience. In fact, the Bible teaches that's the only way to be a Christian. We talk, and this is very confusing, and it confuses the issue, and it confuses the issue of spiritual growth and the fact that we think, in America at least, we have non-born-again Christians and born-again Christians. The word Christian means Christ in one. It means Christ-like. And so the, the very idea of being a non-born-again Christian is just simply saying, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm good. And if you're saying that I'm not a Christian, then I'm not good. That's not biblical. That's not Bible. We've changed the meaning of the name Christian over a long period of time. The whole idea of being a Christian is a supernatural born-again birth. Listen to what it says here in, uh, in verse uh, 23. He says, For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, that passes away, he talks about the Word of God, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring Word of God. Now here he's talking about the seed of the Word of God coming into your heart. But there's a different word of the Lord spoken of in John, the Gospel of John, and the word, meaning the living word, Jesus Christ. And here's what Christ says about himself in that Gospel. He says in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that he be able to bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, he says, you're already saved because of the word of God, the seed of the word of God coming into your heart. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here's what he's saying. There, here's the picture. There is a vine coming up through the ground, that's Christ. We are the branches, and if we're connected to the vine, abiding, that means connected, it means remain, it means to live in, different meanings of the word there in the Greek language. To live in the vine, I am the branch, I'm going to bear fruit. Now, how can I bear the fruit? How can I do that? Well, John 14, 15, 16, talk about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, the third person of the Trinity. The moment I receive Christ in my life, I repent of my sins, I follow Christ, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside my heart and yours. And because of that, he's like the sap that's coming up through the vine through the branches to bear the fruit on the branch. And without the sap running through it, you can't bear the fruit. That's what he's saying. Without the sap running through it, you can't bear the new leaf, the fruit, and the new life that's on the branch. What he's saying is, is, is very simple. We have, as a born-again believer, the DNA of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Listen to 2 Peter 1.4. For by these we have granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Very simply, he's saying this. 
We ought to desire, and it's natural and a supernatural thing to desire growth because now we're part of the DNA of Christ. We're part of, 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 of Jesus Christ, and as it says, we're partakers of the divine nature. Christ lives in our heart. We are now connected to the vine. It's a natural thing to want to grow. And so if you're not feeling that natural thing, the Bible says, without abiding, he says, I'm going to cut you, I'm going to cut you off. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. So it's a natural thing. But it's also, dear friends, beneficial for you and I to grow. Now it says here in verse 2, like newborn babies. Now here's the picture. The very moment that you and I become part of that DNA of Christ, we're like a little baby. I just uh, had a grandson, our, our sixth grandbaby. And we're, we're, we're just thrilled with him. And uh, just, you know, you can see it on Facebook. Maybe not mine, but you can sure, sure see it on Pam's Facebook. You know, you can see the pictures. And so uh, he's just a little bitty fella, you know, about 20 inches long, 6, 7, 17, I don't know, what, what is baby, 17 pounds? That's normal. <laughs> Shows how much I know about it, right? 6 or 7 pounds, just a little bitty thing. That's what we are as believers in Christ. We're like babies. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's great. You're a newborn. Everything's new. Everything's wonderful. And there's nothing wrong with being a day-old, uh, a year-old baby, a, a five-year-old child. But there, there's something amiss when you're not growing and you're 20 years old and you're still a baby, right? Wouldn't you say? Why? Why would you say, well, that's kind of unnatural. But not only that, it's not beneficial. A baby, what is a baby? A baby's cute, but babies are also unstable. Children are unstable. You take them to the mall. I mean, they're whining, they're crying, and they start screaming because they're not, I mean, so, you know, they fell, they're not getting their way. They're just emotional. I mean, they're so emotional. And then you look down and say, come on, I'll buy you an ice cream. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, change on a dime. You, you cannot operate that way as a believer in Christ on the long term and have peace, the joy, and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Uh, babies are unselfish. Tell, that, tell it to a mom about 2 o'clock in the morning. Babies are totally, uh, di totally disregard mom's feelings at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Do you agree with that? They want what they want. When they're, they're not wise. What, what parent is going to turn their child loose in the front yard? Two, three years old, hey, just go, go play. And never mind that there's a highway right in front of us. Why? Because the child cannot make good decisions. They're going to be out in traffic. You don't want to stay there as a Christian. Their babies are also gullible. Man, new doctrine comes along. Never heard of that. Man, that sounds real intriguing to me. I've got friends that believe that. Or this is the latest book. All of a sudden you read the latest book and, you, and your pastor's an idiot and your professors are dumb and nobody really knows the answers for all these centuries, but you know the answer. Kind of gullible. So you don't want to remain a baby. Well, there's a different stage according to 1 John chapter 2. John says there's babies, there's uh, young men, teenagers type, and then there's adults. But what about the teenager? More mature. You can go out in the middle of the road. You don't have to worry about them in the front yard. Things are better. But teenagers can also be impressionable. They're impressed by somebody. Their styles, the doctrine, music, impression leads to expression. Some of the young people think, well, you know, I'm kind of too cool to get involved in church much, you know. It's got to be cool. And others are very much, they're just all in. They're, you know, it, it could be either one. But there's hormones going on. 
And you know you love your teenager. Do I have an amen? But sometimes you love loving them from a distance, right? There's all kinds of emotions going on there. It's nothing wrong with being a teenager when you're a teenager. That's right. That's good. But you don't want to be a 45-year-old teenager. Right? Okay, a lot of people, guys, don't, some of you teenagers, do you want to be 45 and still be a teenager? No. Well, you want to look like a teenager, but you don't want to. I understand all that. The the only problem, I'm, I'm just saying, it's better much better than being the child. But it's not really where you want to be. When trials come in your life, <clears throat> you're not going to have a point of understanding. You're not going to have the wisdom necessary. So 1 John also tells us about mature adults. The Bible describes these as being full of the Spirit, Ephesians 3.19, full of wisdom, able to make decisions, faith, stronger faith. So when you pray, you feel like you're getting answers to prayer because of the maturity. You understand the ways of God. Um, you're more patient with God. I was talking to someone uh, this summer, a pastor, said, boy, worst year of his life, worst year of his personal life, worst year of his uh, um, ministry. But um, he said, you know, I've had these before. And he started just talking. He said, you know, I'm, I'm just taking it so much better this time than I did several years ago. And what he was saying was, without really realizing it, Hey, wow, I've grown. I've grown in the Lord. I'm, I'm more mature in the Lord. The Bible says the fruit comes out on the branches, and the fruit is, well, another Christian winning people to Jesus. The fruit is service, but the fruit is also the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control. So here's the question. In the vision for your life, are you more loving than you were five years ago? Are you more joyful? Are you more peaceful? Can you, can you look at the world and say, well, I, I can read these things through the Bible, and everything's going to be all right because God's sovereign. Everything's going to be good. God's going to work it all out somehow, some way. may not be for everybody's good, but it's going to be for the Christian's good, Romans 8, 28. And so what is it? So we look at the reason. There's, there's nothing, there's just nothing more important than your spiritual growth. Nothing. So what are the tools? Let me give you three types of pressure. One is inner pressure. That is the Word of God. Look in verse uh, 22, um, or rather 23. It says, the imperishable Word of God. Verse 2 of chapter 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the Word. Now, I know that there's there's passages in the Bible that talk about the difference between milk and meat. Hebrews talks about that. Right here, Peter's not talking about that. He's just talking about nourishment. He's just saying milk is nourishment. But like newborn babies, desire, have a desire on your heart for the Word of God. And so let me ask you something. Do you have a desire for that? And I'm not just talking. Here here he's not talking about just reading a few verses for inspiration or studying the doctrinal books to find out intellectually what's really taking place and what really is the right thing versus the not so right, the wrong. He's talking about here about making it part of your life. For example, um, if you take a piece of meat, what do you do? How do you eat it? First, you cut it up. So what do you do? You cut up the Word of God. You interpret it and get the right interpretation. 
And you say, well, there's many interpretations for the Bible. That's true, but there's only right, one right one. Okay, everything else is wrong because God intended to write the Bible for a reason. And he just said, well, you know, here's the words. Just, uh, you know, pick them out any way you want to. No, there's a right interpretation. You seek that out. Then you taste it. You taste, you, you put the, the food in your mouth and you, you taste it. You let it touch you. You let it touch you emotionally. You let it, let it touch your heart. And then finally you swallow it. What happens when you swallow food? This happens. <laughs> I have the evidence that I am not malnourished. Right here. You see, when I eat it, eat food, part of that stays with me. Part of it becomes part of my body. And Peter is saying here, you taste the word of God, you feed off the word of God and let it become part of who you are. And what happens there is that you get rid of sin in your life because the salvation that it's talking about here in this verse 2, in grow in respect to salvation, he's talking here about sanctification. Remember what we've said, there's three stages to salvation. One is justification, that's the very moment that you're born again. Jesus comes to live inside your heart, part of his DNA. Number two is sanctification. First, first of all, the justification, you have been saved already from the penalty of sin. Amen? Sanctification. You are being saved from the power of sin. Thirdly, glorification in heaven. You'll be saved from the presence of sin. Here he's talking to Christians about sanctification. He says the world's going to fall off. Now, when you and I think about leaves for just a moment, I, I know we don't have this kind of thing going on in Florida because you don't have, we don't have a fall. But in places where you actually have a fall, like, for example, where, where we're from in North Georgia, what you would do is go out and, and rake what? Leaves. Some of you recall that. You rake the leaves. One of the things I discovered, we, Pam and I built a house, and a lot of uh, wood was just sort of cut down. I mean, we were sort of in the woods, so they cut down a lot of trees, and they left all the stubs and the trees, some of the trees there. And... Uh, and so I went out with a chainsaw to try to chop some of this up for our firewood. We had a nice big fireplace. And, uh, in fact, the fireplace is probably bigger than the house, almost as big. But um, so I, I chopped. And one thing I noticed, there were leaves, dead leaves, still on these dead trees. that They were cut off. And they were laying down, and there were leaves still on them. And so I began to pull, and I, I had to sort of use a little force. And I thought, well, I thought dead leaves fall off trees. Dead leaves, I found out, do not fall off trees. They don't. They are pushed off by the new life. They are pushed off by the sap that's running through the tree. And a dead tree, apart from the vine, apart from the root, has no sap to push the dead leaves off. But if you insist on keeping the dead leaves on, the new growth cannot take place. And so sanctification is becoming more like Jesus Christ by, by surrendering and giving up our sin. And that's the result of the Word of God coming into our heart. And because of that, the new life coming on, we can handle life better. And in fact, people say, oh, you know, but I'm, I just don't, I don't know. I just, I just feel like, you know, there, there's just something wrong. With I just don't feel like I have enough faith in God. Fear is often trying to find security in something else. 
And so the reason why we fear is that we're not connected enough to God, to Christ. And we're not growing in Christ. And therefore, we fear everything. And what about, and what about depression? So many Christians are going through downtimes and depression today because they feel like God doesn't love them. Listen, let me, let me share something with you that God revealed to me this week, afresh and anew. Heard it before, fresh and anew. The moment that you and I were born again, God loved you as much as he ever will. Because God cannot love less and he cannot love more. His love is always perfect. And his love for me and his love for you was not based on our works. Our salvation is not based on our works. Our salvation is based on his grace as Jesus Christ died on the cross. He did it all for us. There's nothing about that. And so there's nothing that we can earn to earn his love. Now, there's things that we do to, earn, to, to, to uh, grant his blessing to us, and we feel that love, but there's nothing that we can ever do to make him love us more. Nothing. Say it with me. God loves me. Say it again. God loves me. God loves you. He can never, he's never going to love you more than he does right now or less. He loves you with a perfect love. Well, i got to move on quickly. There's outer pressure. Look in verse uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 1. Greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, this perishable gold, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, trials bring maturity in our life. Maturity, maturity, and more maturity. Just like a person that's growing emotionally as a human being needs trials in their life, adversity in their life in order to grow, we need that as well as a Christian. Now, I know sometimes we can get upset with, go, well, I'm just upset, I just don't know what God's doing. Listen, trials can make you better or bitter. I found that in my own life. They, they can make you better, they can make you bitter. It just depends on how you respond to them. And as God was revealing that to me about his love this week, conjunction also with the, you know, the book I've written because it was speaking to me again, I can say this, God loves you. Listen to this. It's not based on your performance. If his love for me is not based on my performance, why should my love for him be based on his performance? Because it so often is. God, I love you because, boy, you just really blessed me. God, I don't know if I love you as much because, boy, you're just not coming through for me right now. But the trials of our life, the mature, maturing Christian, the growing Christian, as he reads the Word of God, understands and can discern what's going on around him in the trials of life. But there's a third thing, and that is resisting pressure. The pressure of the world. Look in verse 1, chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy. These are the ways of the world. Worldliness. Let the dead leaves fall off the tree. You know, we talk a lot about our culture today. And some people say, well, I don't think the Bible needs to speak in the culture. I think culture speaks in the Bible, and the Bible's kind of in flux and flux and, you know, culture. Let me try to put this in better perspective for you. There is a biblical word for culture. There is. And it's the word world. When the Bible speaks of the world, it speaks of culture. 
World could mean people. God so loved the world. The world could mean the cosmos. But when he speaks of the world in the sense of a culture, he's speaking of a worldliness, of a philosophy that is anti-God and pro-world, pro-culture. And so here's what the Bible says about this. Do not love the culture, nor the things of the culture. If anyone loves the culture, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away in all of its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. In 2 Peter 1.4, we read that a few moments ago. It says at the end, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The world just pulls at us. Francis Schaeffer, 30, 40 years ago, wrote a book, and uh, how, how Should We Live? And in that book, he says this. He says, whatever the world is doing now, the church is going to be doing seven years from now. And to a large extent, we've seen that to be true. How many things are we doing now that we would never think about doing seven years ago? Or we would think, oh, no, no, that's going to take me away from Christ if I do that. 14 years ago, 21 years ago, if you're, you're, if you're that old. I know that before World War II, we were into, all the church, it seemed like, was into legalism. Every denomination, everything. And we're paying for that today by letting the pendulum swing the other way. But it's going to keep us from growing in Christ. The dead leaves are going to stay on the tree, and the new life, the new growth is not going to be able to come. We look at it. You know, we shared with you a couple of weeks ago, I was in this roundtable discussion. This guy brought up, the pastor brought up a great question. He says, we're called to make disciples. How can we make disciples when people aren't there? And it rang true with everybody in the room, everybody going through the same thing. It's not so much less people are coming to church, they're just coming a lot less often. And so... How do we do that? Well, the, question, the answer is you don't. When people were discipled by Jesus, they followed Jesus. When people were discipled by Paul, they had to be there. They had to be on the mission trip. They had to be in the presence. So what is it? What, what is the popularity quest that's taking you away? What, the intellectual quest, the, the, the being the hero to your kids and, doing, and allowing your kids to kind of run the show, run the life. What, what is it? What TV, what, <clears throat> what movies, what sports even, what books? You know, Jay Strack, <clears throat> excuse me, Leadership University said this. He says, you're going to be the same person five years from now than you are today, except for the places you go, people that you meet, and the books that you read. So what are you reading? doesn't have to be a book. It could be on the Internet. What do you, what do you look, what, where are you? What places are you going? What people are you hanging out with? That is what's going to alter your life. So what is the vision for your life? How are you getting there? And you say, well, you're making me feel really uncomfortable. Listen, I want you to grow in Christ. And the biggest reason in every article I read, and I would agree with this wholeheartedly, the number one reason why people are not growing in Christ, the number one reason why we're depressed, 
The number one reason why we're not responding well to adversity, the one, number one reason why we live in fear, the number one reason is the dead leaves are still on the tree. We're dabbling in the ways of the world, and because of that, we're not growing. And I would not be a good pastor to you if I didn't share that with you. So what is it? What are the roadblocks? What are the roadblocks to it? Three things, and I'm going to close. Number one, we've already talked about motivation. Motivation. You see, here's the problem. The escalator in our life, um, as we're going down, goes slow. Man, it's just slow. As a matter of fact, you'll be coming away from most church services and thinking, okay, that helped me grow, but you're not going to see a big leap. It's just slow. The decline of spiritual growth is so slow that we hardly notice it until all of a sudden it's a year down the road and then, wow, what happened to my life? What happened? Now, here's the thing. You say, you sort of put me on a guilt trip, but let me, some of you I have, and, you know, I'm just preaching what God wants me to preach. Some of you are not guilty yet, so let me put you on a guilt trip. <clears throat> now, <laughs> now, just think about this for just a moment. Think about it for just a moment. Um, uh, say if you were to come to church 52 weeks out of the year. Very few people do that, but just say you did. And you came for small group and the worship service, two and a half hours. Wow, man, who spends two and, a half, two and a half hours? Did you know over the course of the year, 168 hours a week, you're spending 1.5% of your time on the most important area of your life? You say, well, now, Pastor, wait a minute. I have a quiet time every day. I read the Bible every day. I pray every day, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Okay, now you've gotten up past 2%. But I serve the Lord. I do things for the Lord. Okay, you're probably up to 3%. Now, you're talking about every waking hour, you may be up to 45 4.5%. But for most, the maximum will be 3%. 3% of your time expended on the most important thing of your life that will dictate the rest of your life. You know, we talk about education. Oh, if you, it doesn't matter how much money you borrow, just borrow as much as you can to get this education in because you only get four years or ten years or whatever in education. It's so important. It's going to dictate the rest. Nothing dictates your life like your growth in Christ. You're adopting the DNA of Jesus Christ. Just something to think about. And here's something else to think about. As long as I got the amen over here, let me just go on for another minute. Suppose I were to tell you that if you come to church next week, I'm going to give you $1,000. Oh, I got some applause right here. I'm not. But what if I did? Somebody says, well, I can't come next week. I'm going to the beach. Can't come next week. Got, I got relatives in town. And I don't want to take them to church. I mean, you know, who is? <laughs> you know, I'm doing my hair the day before. Or I'm vacuuming the lid on my, out of my coat pockets that day. All kinds of things. Oh, I'm going to be a little out of town. I may not come back in for church. Or I may sleep in next week. No, you would be here for your $1,000.
You can always go to the beach the next week, right? A thousand dollars. But see, that, that speaks to our motivation. And we think that thousand dollars is more important than our spiritual development. And it's not. Nothing's more important. So motivation. Nothing's more. Separation. Whatever we said the world is doing today, the church will be doing seven years from now. Allow God to speak to your heart and get the dead leaves off. And lastly, salvation. Look in verse 3. If you have, if you have, ta- if you have, if you, if, say that word with me, if. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And it's saying here, you will want to do this. There will be a desire in your heart for that milk. If. You have tasted the kindness if you've been saved. But I know what you're thinking. Man, you've already picked on us enough, and now you're saying I'm not even a Christian? Hey, look, I, let, me, let me say this. I don't, I don't live with any of you here, except for my wife. I don't live with any, I don't know how you live. I don't really know how you live behind closed doors. I don't. So I am not judging you at all. I'm asking you to ask yourself, if there's no fruit in your life, if there's no love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, you know, the, the, another Christian, a fruit of service, no fruit in your life, then don't you think you, we must ask ourselves the question, do I have the DNA of Christ? I'm not saying that you're not a good person. I'm not saying that <clears throat> you're like my dad. My, my dad came forward. <clears throat> I, I've shared with the story on, on, on the um, dinner with the pastor many times. I was sitting on the front row with my brother. He just got saved, and I was making a profession. My dad, at the age of 42, came down to get saved. Put it in a little country church, and my pastor took his hand and said, John, do you want to rededicate your life? My dad said, no. I want to get saved. My dad was such a good person that everybody thought he was a Christian, including the pastor. Never claimed to be. Never claimed to be. Not a pretender. You see, you can be good. We're not talking about good. Are you connected to the DNA of Jesus Christ? Are you really, have you really repented of your sins? Have you really trusted him and him only to save you? Have you are you a follower of Jesus? With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, <coughs> As we reflect on what God has told us today, I want to ask you a question of every Christian here. What is the vision for your life? Where where do you want to be five years from now in your spiritual pilgrimage? And then how are you going to get there? How? What is your plan? What what is it that you need to do? Maybe you need to come to the altar to say, say, God, I, I need that vision. I want that motivation. I want you to do something in my life. I want to grow. I'm committing myself to a, to growth, whatever growth plan you're going to give me. That's what I want to do. I want to grow. But there's some here that are questioning, and you're saying, I'm not sure I'm a believer. I'm not sure. I don't see the growth in my life. Others don't see. I mean, they, they couldn't testify that I was more than a good person. Isn't it about time that you become abiding in Christ? become part of the divine nature you can do that by asking him to save you 
I'll ask you to pray this prayer with me right now, sincerely, before the Lord. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you died purposely for my sins. So I ask you, Lord, as I humble myself before you, to save me, to rescue me. I turn from my sin and my own way of life, and I turn to follow you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you that you died, you were buried, you rose again for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look this way? Let me uh, invite you to do something. We're going to have a little public invitation here, and uh, not to embarrass you at all, but uh, just to give you an opportunity to respond. But we have a card here called the welcome card, and on the back it says, My Decision Today. Let's be very careful. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ in your life, you say, well, I'm a churchman. I, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ in your life, I want you to put a little check right there in that box. Make sure we get it in the offering plate when it's passed in just a few moments. Now, you're, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but I'm moved now. I've tasted the word of God. It's touched me. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to ask you to come to the altar and say, hey, I, I want God's growth plan for my life. I want to grow. God put the motivation in my heart. Others that pray to receive Christ, you take one of these gentlemen by the hand, just like my dad did. You just come and say, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. And we will pray with you and do all, all our best to take care of you today and help you. Right now, as we stand together, right now, you begin coming right now. The altar is open. You come and pray right now. God is, allow God to move in this place. Allow God to do something in your life today. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? You come.
Altar is open. Ask continue to come even now. Anyone else? Last call. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus paid it all. He did it all for us. And by his grace, we've been saved. We didn't earn it. We don't earn his love. And God, we pray that we can grow in such a way that you don't have to earn our love either. That we love you because of who you are and we trust you because of who you are and what you can do. And God, I pray for everyone here, a revival in the soul, a motivation to grow in Christ like we've never had before, a hunger, a thirst at the righteousness of God. Lord, we're joined to you. We're part of your DNA. And I trust you, Lord, that you can pull this off in our life. I pray, God, now for the offering that we're about to take. Thank you, Lord, that you've touched so many people's hearts to give. And you know, Lord, we don't have a, a benefactor somewhere. We're not supported by any denomination or any person. Lord, our ministry comes from the hearts and the lives and the giving of the people that are here. And so, Lord, I pray that as we participate that you would continue to multiply what we give. Multiply it in our bank accounts, but also multiply it in our hearts and multiply the ministry that you want to grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Those that are here at the altar continue as we receive the offering. Uh, let me just say that um, I, I challenge you just to, um, to don't put aside this message. Many of you have made commitments in, even in your own heart. And the most important decision that you make is not the one you make in church. It's the one you make this afternoon or tomorrow. When, whenever you get up and you're going to start really doing something as far as reading and studying the word and just uh, uh, making those commitments to the, the worship as well, those, those decisions are going to determine where your future is going to be going. So I challenge you for that, and I'll be praying for you. Uh, my wife and I will be um, right after the service. We're going to be over here in the hospitality center. And I know there are guests here. We, uh, uh, we praise God that you're here this morning. And we want to get to know you. So just come by. Got a little gift for you. No, no pressure as far as joining the church, anything like that. We just want to get to know you and say hello to you. So, so come by there. Even after you pick up your kids, just come on by and say hello. We'd be glad to see you. Okay? And I think we have some announcements for you.